This is Jesse Hensley. And this is Josh Turner. Welcome to Turn Down for What. All right, welcome back to Turn Down for What. It is once again me, Josh Turner, and the wonderful Chris Bow. Welcome back, Chris. Great to be here. We gotta re-record the intro. I'm gonna do that by next week. We're gonna we're gonna re-record the intro. Just just giving you a shout out in that intro there. Anyways. Oh. Uh, so we we actually have a special guest today. Um, he will hop on at some random moment and we'll add him on whenever he decides to join, uh, this call that we're on. Um, but first we would like to start with some news, uh, and kind of give a, uh, finishing of what we didn't complete last week. We kind of got, uh, tore down a few tangents last week and we're running short on time. But, uh, this week I would like to finish those news articles. Like I alluded to last week. The boat is a very cool thing that I had seen that we'll talk about for a minute. Um, Chris, you sent me an article this morning that was rather interesting about a Ram announcement. Um, and the weekend, if we have time, we'll do a little spotlight on a, uh, a new vehicle that will be coming out soon. So starting with the Soul Sal Sal 24. Um, I had seen this article about a week and a half ago. Um Jesse and I, you know, our intention has been to be the forefront leaders in charging, not only uh, by land, but by air and sea as well. And so we've already kind of had our fingers on some of the 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 future aspects of the industry when it comes to um, the upcoming um, the upcoming boat releases. There's a, a there was a tugboat being tested in Vancouver. Um, that was a really massive battery pack, but a tug system that's going to be electrified. And we were looking in Tennessee because the Tennessee River is used a lot for the tug systems. It's something that we're actively working on. But there is uh, this company, Soul Sal 24, um, is an electric cabin boat, Cuddy cabin boat, uh, built by Belmont Boatworks in Maine. Um, but it is... A very unique design so what they've done is they have actually used an electric motor with batteries as a traditional ev would um and then they actually went through and they did the entire covering of the boat with solar and what they were suggesting is with that specific boat that it will basically be able to maintain itself on the waterways without ever having to plug in now sometimes you're obviously going to be uh coasting at a much reduced um power because you know the battery will drain itself but they were suggesting and let me uh state the facts so it says uh, this is an article by electric but stretching nearly the entire length of the 24 foot boat the canopy supports four 360 watt solar panels totaling about 1440 watts of solar charging those panels help charge up four torquedo with a q power 24 3500 lithium batteries providing 14 kilowatt hours of onboard storage capacity but as long as the boat sticks to its five to ten knot cruising speed the output from the solar panels is actually sufficient on its own to power the motor without needing to draw battery power. So if you're sailing during the day, 
and you stay at a five knot cruising speed, the solar input is actually enough to not use the battery at all, which I thought was crazy. Um, and so this theory of having a completely um, independent uh, boat uh, on the waters, I thought was a really unique design. Now, do you have any sense for the speed of a typical boat going down, you know, the the Tennessee River or the Mississippi or one of these places where it might? I mean, th this one specifically isn't, I mean, obviously designed to be a tug system, but this one would yeah. be a, 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 yeah, a recreational use one. But I mean, the typical cruising speed, I think, would be closer to 10. Um Oh. Yeah, we have, you know, out here in the Bay Area, we've got the whole Delta system, the Sacramento River and the Bay. And uh, you can, I could totally see somebody taking that. And, you know, then the challenge is, is just going to be um, on, on a on a day with clouds, <laughs> making sure you pay attention, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously, they'll solve the charging infrastructure. But that's yeah. something that uh, they had the opportunity to have that. And it looks like as a random tangent, we do have our guest speaker for the day. Welcome. Hey, Neil. How's it going, Neil? Good. How are you, sir? We are just trucking through our news articles, and we we're going to bring you on to it uh, whenever you wanted to join. So you can, can cool. you can join the dialogue as we talk about that, and then we'll uh, get to our uh, specific spotlight on uh, some of the exciting stuff that you've done in just a minute. Um, awesome, appreciate you guys. Absolutely. So we were talking about the uh, release of what it was the Soul or sorry the Solar Sal twenty four boat, which was a technically charge the ability to be a charger free boat through solar yeah. and battery. Um, obviously I, I, I just Googled it. It said the average, um, the average uh, speed of a cruising boat is usually 15 knots. You know, if you're recreationally cruising. So this one going five is going to be a slow trudge. <laughs> uh, however, I mean, you do have this capability to run it through the solar panels uh, and that's without using the battery, but you could sip on the battery in addition to that and have that, uh, have that option. But it's saying if you drop it to four knots, the boat has a range of a hundred miles, yeah, wow. which would take you basically 24 hours. And they're saying that with the sun coming back up that you would, you never have to stop the boat. You're just going to be going very slowly. Yeah. You're just going to be cruising. <laughs> yeah. But you know, hey. there, there's this option to have a completely energy independent boat. Yeah, and then I think, you know, if you're the boat owner, obviously you're going to learn. You're going to learn where you're going. You might be out fishing, and as you're sitting there fishing, you're recharging the battery some, and then um, all, all kinds of cool stuff. And that's like anything, it's the beginning. It's the leading edge of of what they're trying to do, and it'll get better and cheaper and more economical and better battery tech. So that's Which is great. another thing that we talked about with Whisper Arrow in episode like six or seven that we had. Um, yeah, with the plane. Yeah. Well, they have their technologies and we discussed it in our part two episode. They, their technologies for their quiet fans, fans. are ultra efficient for power consumption. And it's actually more efficient to propulse the boat through the fans out of the water rather than a traditional motor in, which for like the fishermen would actually create a quieter entry and exit from a potential fishing spot. Um, but you could figure out a way to make a boat utilizing those highly efficient fans. Uh, it's, I mean, it's really, I mean, they're using them to thrust uh, air airplanes. I mean, you can, you can get a boat across to the water surface, but if you yeah. somehow was able to conserve power by not using a traditional motor, then maybe that would be another opportunity to actually uh, make it even more efficient and go longer and faster. They're saying that basically, 
$135,000 is the price. I mean, it's a very simple looking boat, but it's not yeah. astronomically expensive. I was uh, had a buddy that was looking at a uh, traditional, he was looking at a wakeboard or wake boat. And the cost of a new wake boat right now is like $450,000. Uh, oh, that's crazy. Uh, now this this is not a wake boat by any stretch, but it's an all electric you know boat option uh, that you could be used. Looks like more on lakeways than oceans and things like that. But yeah. um, as an efficient option, one thirty five isn't terrible. Um, but there's you could add some additional um, features and obviously get above that. So so yeah, there there's there's that article. Uh, <laughs> the second article that we did not get to last week that I was going to uh, highlight was uh, BP announced that they had spent 100 million dollars buying tesla superchargers um and you have seen uh which is interesting because in our in our work that we do with power up america uh tritium is our vendor that we've used for tennessee for our applications that we've done for those stations and tritium has a, a had or at least showed a strategic relationship with bp for a lot of their releases internationally so their european releases and all of those things had the bp pulse um that the, the bp aspect was kind of used through tritium but come to find out you know tesla or uh, bp comes and buys a hundred million dollars of tesla chargers which i think speaks to where tesla stands in the the realm of the control of the charging space uh, because Tesla has so many vehicles and Tritium is coming online next year with a NAX charger, but Tesla already has NAX and obviously with the magic dock, the CCS ability. Um, so it kind of showcases, I think the demand for a multi-unit, but also the reliability in general of the, the Tesla unit. Yeah, that magic dock is amazing. Um, we, we've got one out here in um, Scotts Valley and uh, any excuse I could have to use that thing, I just love it. And so it's it's perfect built for for BP. And um, I'd love to see that expanding. I think there's some test markets. LA was one of them. Uh, nothing out here in the Bay Area, um, but they picked a, like a handful of test markets to put it into and hopefully it does well and expands. And um, uh, you know, I, every time I see a gas station go up, um, there's one being built down the street from my house. And uh, first thing I do is look to see if they're putting chargers in. And I was really disappointed because they didn't. Um, and then, you know, I, I follow uh, Brandon Flash uh, there on on X and he works for with Circle K that does charging. And so we had a Circle K that was being built. And again, first thing. And I'm like, God, there's no chargers here. It's like, yeah. Brandon, what's going on? Where's the chargers? So I think these companies are just starting to dip their toe into it. You know, Circle K and BP and um, Costco is putting chargers in, um, but they're still just, you know, kind of cherry picking the markets that they're doing it at. So we'll really know we've arrived when we when we see every new opening has to some degree, you know, chargers there. And I think that's, um, it's exciting to see some first steps, man. It's, it's still a crawl, but it's yeah. great to see Tesla such a reliable charger that you love to see that and then it's then it's all the questions right who maintains it is what's the agreement with tesla and um what software interaction i think it's going to these next couple of years are going to be transformative for charging yeah and i mean i think that we are at the early like we said the early stages of mass adoption and so a lot of these companies are trying to get on the forefront of that and they want to be the cutting edge of that as it comes out but you know, you're going to see as we see adoption of vehicles increase, 
the 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 amount of companies willing to dive into that increase and with elon opening up the tesla network the nax network to all the other car companies it's opening up where we've seen all these announcements including um today uh lucid air also announced their partnership with uh nax as just another company to fall in line with that over the last six months uh, our first episode we had on the podcast was is ccs dead and it's true i mean like it seems like we're we're seeing the fade away in the united states from that in the next five years that we will have the ccs vehicles that were established but nax will be the new standard in in the united states but Tesla owns 80 plus percent of the actual EV market currently. And so their network is the best established, the most used. And so obviously the most reliable for um, the future uh, stations. However, a lot of these newer companies like Tritium, they came in to the United States from Australia last year and they established their headquarters in Tennessee but they're they're a new company on the block. So I mean, they are a highly reputable company internationally, but in the United States Tesla is the king. And so it takes a little bit of adaptation to have a new company like that that has an international presence come in and make a make a real strong uh footprint in the United States uh whereas, you know, the company like Tesla has already established a grid for the past 10 years um and begin to build their network up uh which I got to use for the first time when I went to uh, New York and it was a decent experience. So. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch how these companies compete with each other. It's going to push everybody else to do better. And, you know, currently when, when you're put in a charger, you've got one cable might be NAX and one cable might be CCS. And I went to an EV go that was at a whole foods near me. And there was, there's still a Chatamo and a CCS and a NAX um, all together on this, on this one unit. Um, and that's the elegance of the Tesla engineering, the fact that they can get that magic dock to all be one. You know, they're not going to support Chadmo, but um, just the idea you've got one cable, you know. Not to diss the Chadmo EV drivers, but who cares about Chadmo? I mean, come on now. That's like <laughs> that's like so five years ago. Come on now. <laughs> you go to these charging yeah. stations and I, I see these these vehicles like the older Leafs and stuff plugged into the Chadmo and it's 50 kilowatt charge on my app. So that this this person was running around with their kids and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you have fun hey, with that one. There's a space for the Chatamo. Like when my daughter's old enough to drive, she's not going to get a, a Mach-E, man. I'm going to give her like a, <laughs> a, a a used leaf or or something. So um, hey, my you know. my kid my kid is going to get the Mach-E uh, that our friend the here Neil is, made. Uh, yes, <laughs> Neil's. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I want I want can, Neil's Mach-E. Yeah, he can have it. <laughs> <laughs> now Neil Neil is that a one off is that a one off build and and what's the future of that what's where's that going to go We're not there yet don't jump the oh, gun Okay we, gonna... we have to get there we're not All there All right yet. we'll, wait, we'll I, wait I snuck it in but we're not there yet We're going to get there You can't do that to me I'll, I'll start to squirrel I'll be like or we'll teaser stay tuned to hear hear about this amazing maki the, the amazing maki which I'm going to purchase but we'll get to that Yes sir The last news article that we were that we were going to yeah. discuss <laughs> before we talk about the amazing Maki <laughs> was the Ram uh, came out with a new yes. announcement um, of their truck that was announced. Was it today or yesterday, Chris? It was today. Very, yeah, yeah, this morning. It was, yeah, it was very recently. But they uh, they announced what they we all knew that they had the Ram fifteen hundred EV that they were going to be building. Um, I actually have a reservation on the Ram fifteen hundred EV, um, but they you know they that's 
been delayed in production. It's one of those things. Maybe end of next year we might see it. Uh, looks like a very nice all-electric vehicle. Um, the one thing that you know we have discussed on the podcast and in, in years past is the most comfortable start in the EV space is a plug-in hybrid. Um, now, Ram is saying this is not a plug-in hybrid, which I respect it because they're making a lot farther towards, which I've not even seen. This is a new thing for me, but they're making something that's a lot closer to an EV than a plug-in hybrid. Um, but it's something that nonetheless, it has the the looks uh, on the, on the exterior of what would be a plug-in hybrid. So it's the 2025 which would be two years from now, Ram 1500 Ram charger is what they're calling it, um, which will look what looks like from the outside to be very similar to the Ram uh, 1500 EV. But the difference to this is it's going to come with a, what's the stats on it? It's a 92 kilowatt hour, kilowatt hour battery, which is a decent sized battery uh, really for, is. for a vehicle. I mean, my truck is 120. I think the Ram EV 1500 is going to be a 200 kilowatt battery, if I, if I recall correctly. There, there was um, going to be two models. There was going to be a shorter one that was like 137. It was 168 for the standard range and 229 for the long range. It's actually there it is. Yep, um, yep. So this is a scale down by almost half of that. However, a 92 kilowatt battery compared to the average plug-in hybrid is like three times as large as the average plug-in hybrid. Yeah. And yeah. so what they're saying is that they're actually going to add an engine to this, which would make more parts, uh, obviously, but it would have, um, let's see here. Where's the stats like, of the engine? It's, it's a six. I know it's a six cylinder. Yeah. Um, and and it, you know, part of the article. You're not going to have to worry about the transmission or the drivetrain. It's going to basically be used to generate the electricity. Um, so it's not used. It's not used to power the vehicle. It's correct. just used as an onboard generator. Yes. For the battery, which yep. is rather unique. And it was talking about the range, which I thought was really, really interesting because something that we've talked about like four times on the podcast has been, you know, you need a plug-in hybrid that goes at least 50 miles. Well, this one's saying that it can travel 145 miles on battery power yes. and then the engine will charge the battery and you can travel 690 miles with a full battery and a full 27 gallon tank of gas. Um, yeah. Which is crazy. Well, it's, and it's interesting because, and I think it's so early. So there was another article I read that had the, the range closer to like 550. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see when it gets out there, but, um, you know, the spec on the battery size isn't all that much smaller than what I've got for the standard range lightning yeah. because my standard range is a 98. Um, but the thing that really stood out though, is that, you know, the way I drive, which Bay area rush hour traffic, you know, you Neil, you've been in traffic in LA, you know how that goes. It's, you know, you're not doing 80 miles an hour out here in California well, on the freeway. So I can get, um, close to 260, 270, out of my standard range and now that's because i'm you know i'm going 30 miles an hour down down 101 so um, i'm not going very fast when i'm on the freeway and commute hours and then the rest of the time i'm around the same four cities so i can get quite a bit of range and my efficiency is in the you know 2.7 um miles per kilowatt hour and then if i'm doing a lot of freeway it might you know be closer to two 
But this one, you're only getting 1.5. Really inefficient. I've got to imagine that's because you got that heavy engine, and then you've got that 26, 27 gallon tank full of fuel. That's got to be killing that range because that. Yeah. Um, but still, at 100 plus, I mean, you can do your daily commuting, depending on where you are, all on battery power, and then. I don't know, maybe you only throw eight gallons into the tank instead of 26 or whatever it is. And maybe that reduces your weight and maybe that increases your range. And there's so many questions to be had there. It's a, it's a very unique engineering challenge. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a lot more towards a full BEV than it would be, you know, a traditional plug-in hybrid. Because, I mean, obviously this is triple the distance, if not more, of a traditional plug-in hybrid. Um, but doing the calculations if it actually goes 690 on a 27 gallon tank that's going to boil down to be 25 miles to the gallon for a truck which yeah. is good for a truck but that's not outstanding for being a 90 kilowatt hour battery being yeah. uh you know basically generated through that so it's not going to be the most efficient thing in the world however the use case of utilizing both technologies gives you the regional commute to really be a slam dunk other than the efficiency and the amount of power that you're going to have to replenish for that, you know, regional uh, traffic. But you also deal with this aspect of you can go 700 miles on a single charge tank, which is, I mean, that's, that's very impressive. Um, Cause I mean, the long range and I'm not a hundred percent certain on the exact distances but the long range of like the extended tank of a regular truck i think will go five to six hundred miles but i don't think it'll go 700 um no. so it's a definitely a longer um a longer mm -hmm. drive experience but that's because you're utilizing both you know the battery and the the uh gas at the same time we'll see we'll see how their aspirations pan out i mean stellantis isn't known for executing what they dream up you know that that first ram rev that came out in the you know the concept and then what really came out were totally different and then um time after time they've kind of disappointed so we'll we'll see uh, i like to give Stellantis a hard time so yeah. um <laughs> we'll yeah, see i, I we'll see I'll, i mean it's a cool concept it's definitely a lot like i said a lot closer to a, a full truck i love the fact that you can get 100 miles plug it in get your regional yes. commute done you can still have the gas power to give you the confidence to take it on long distances. Uh, not the most efficient, uh, not the yeah. best, I think, as far as that goes. However, it's a start starting point for what could be a really good opportunity for the future of that aspect of the industry. If if it helps if it helps the conversion of, to people to getting to to understand and feel comfortable with electric, I'm all for it. Um, in general, I'm not a big fan of a plug-in hybrid like. You know, electric, I'm like, don't don't tip your toe in there. If you're going to hold it for any period of time, you're going to still have to change your engine oil. You're still going to have all the same gaskets and seals and same pumps and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. Um, like, I, you know, I'm an all-in kind of guy, but but I get it. That's not the case for everybody. That's not the case for the person that's living out in maybe Kansas or in the middle of Texas or somewhere in the Dakotas that might need it. So if this helps, like I'm all for the step. And I, I think it's a very creative way of going about it. You know, they hinted at these ideas of range extenders and I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. And I think it's a really great engineering design that they've come up with. It's, it's, it's something that'll be, and it's going to have the ability to plug into the house and all the things that our lightnings can do. 
Um, so there's a lot of great use cases for that in a lot of places that where somebody just may viscerally be like, no, EVs are not for me. Uh, maybe I'll give that a look. That might be something that can really be used in, in tow and all those things. And, you know, the, the Silverado um, is, is kind of got their thing where they've, They've got one that can tow 200 miles that that they've shown with their big battery packs. But again, that's like the the 200 kilowatt hour. You know, those are huge, expensive yeah, trucks and battery packs. Yeah, and that there's no way to make that a cheap vehicle because you're using such a massive massive battery pack. Unless they get battery tech significantly cheaper, uh, bigger batteries. We've already had that discussion. Is not necessarily going to be yeah. the, the solution. But my biggest, and you alluded to this, but my biggest issue with plug-in hybrids is you know you have you have gas vehicles which require all their maintenance and you have evs which have their maintenance and their issues you get a plug-in hybrid and you're dealing with all of them at one time (laughs) so you know it's it's one of those things that you know you can have a battery failure you have to get the battery replaced you have to have an engine you have to have a transmission yeah i mean you have to have all the parts which means with an ev with a full ev it's very low maintenance because you have the battery and you have the motors and then you're just taking care of the vehicle. Very low componentry to get that aspect of rolling. Now, when the battery fails, it's a very expensive replacement. However, those batteries, if maintained correctly and if they're a good cell, can go a very long way. We had that conversation. You can see 400,000 miles and only have minor deterioration of the actual battery pack. However... If it fails, it's an expensive replacement. With an engine, it has its life cycles, the combustion, it causes damage, you have transmissions. By mixing all of it together, it's just a recipe for expensive maintenance uh, sure. because it's you're dealing with all the parts. So many, you know, the we're, we talked about it with the T3. We want to see simplicity of parts, not complexity. And plug-in hybrid is just complexity. You're getting a gas-powered and a and electric and smashing it together and trying to make it work. It's a really good use case for the hundred miles and the battery or the gas power to back you up and get you long range. But I think the maintenance plan on that's going to be two X gas. It's going to be gas plus electric costs and more because of all the different moving parts. And I think that'll call it lead to even more failure of one or the other because of the complexity of those systems. But that's just an opinion. So yeah, I think I think where it gets curious and fun could be on on some of the things like these areas where extreme cold is a situation where could you use are using the heat off of the motor to help with your with your thermals, right? That's an interesting proposition. Um, it does have the hundred plus miles of electric range, so day to day, a lot of the times I don't need the gas. So does that? I'm really curious to see what happens if I'm not using that full twenty plus gallons. How does that less weight impact my range, and how does that come into play? So there's so much there where you can completely see that as I'm doing my Monday through Friday commute, I'm not using gas at all, and then I'm going to go camping over the weekend to Yosemite or, um, you know, take a trailer somewhere and do something on the farm, and now I gas it up with all 26, 27 gallons. And I just do that as needed. And I can see that being just a really utilitarian function. And, and maybe if you didn't have any gas in the tank, the, obviously the efficiency of the um, the vehicle itself maybe would go above 1.5 because of the less weight. I mean, I yeah. don't know proportionally how much 27 gallons of fuel costs the rest of the vehicle. Yeah. 
our right. ways compared to the rest of the vehicle. However, I mean, that is a weight factor um, in regards to that all, but the componentry of the engine and everything else just makes it a lot less efficient of a vehicle compared to our trucks. Our trucks are not aerodynamic and not best for all those things, but we still get 2.5 around town, 2.8 around town. I don't know what you see on average, but for my truck, I'll get two point my, my lifetime average highway and city is 2.3 um which yeah. if you do the math is right around the ballpark of 320 range which is what you're supposed to get uh but i mean around town i'll get 2.5 to 3 um and i'm sure yeah. on uh neil's maki he's going to see probably closer to three to three and a half because i think they tend to be a little bit more efficient well maybe not yeah. dolled up but we'll get to that <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, efficiency obviously is a question mark with all of that, but something nonetheless, we'll keep an eye on. I mean, they just announced yep. it today. There's a lot to, to, to break out when it comes to that, but I'm sure they'll have more announcements. We'll get to see walkthrough videos and we'll, we will have another dialogue on this uh, topic in the upcoming weeks as they, uh, give us more information. So, yep. We will take a pivot now and finally get to our exciting topic with Neil. We're so uh, privileged to have you on the line. Uh, you were, Appreciate at, I will let Chris kind of go into this more, but you were at recently at a Ford Expo, correct? And you were demonstrating the uh, the modeling that you did on your Mach-E? Yeah, they yeah. Were over at SEMA, right? Is it SEMA? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yep. Yeah, so I, you know, I've I've known Neil from the Electrify Expos that he's done around the country, and he's just got a huge history and uh, cost custom modifications to cars. I mean, Neil, you were out in the East Coast, if I remember, um, doing gas mods, right? And then kind of transitioned here to the West Coast, and have done your last three have been EVs, and your latest was at SEMA uh, partnership with Ford. So, man, like tell us. Tell us your origin story and how you got there and that partnership and introduce yourself, man. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for the, thanks for letting me share this, uh, this time with you guys. So yeah, I've been doing this since 1996. Um, I did grow up in Miami. I moved to California in 2003 to actually run two magazines, uh, HCI and B scene. And uh, yeah, so we've done, we're probably up to about 180 SEMA cars. Uh, this was our 23rd year at SEMA. Uh, we've been working with Ford since 2009. I think we're about 30 builds in with them. But the last three, three of the last four have been EVs. So I built that first Mach-E in 2021, right after COVID, the orange one that was on air that actually won Best of Show Ford in 2021. We did the Lightning last year. And then this year we did another Mach-E, which is the Safari concept. So yeah, it's been all over the place from, of course, ICE vehicles, started with tuner cars back in the 90s, was involved with Fast and Furious 1, 2, and I think they're on, what, 10 now? Um, yeah, so I've seen it come from tuner cars, quote-unquote rice rockets, to now the EV space, which, like you said, it's in its infancy, but I think year three is a lot better than where year one was a couple of years ago for the, for the customization side, of course. I think my favorite thing that you did, uh, and I, I just, I, I have a nerd part of me that loves like the mini buses. Yeah. Um, like I am excited to see the Volkswagen buzz when it gets finally to the U S but, but you did one that was a right-hand drive Honda. Oh, right? you're talking like, about an active van. Yes. That, just, that, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I had a 
I did a truck. So quick tangent. It was three, four, five years ago. They're pretty popular in Japan. You know, the Honda Actis, the K trucks. Friend of mine had one on Instagram and we were building Datsun. So I told one of my best friends, buy one. And I'm not going to call him out, but he was a plus. I don't know what it is. I'm So I'm like, screw it. We'll just buy it for shits and giggles. It, dude, it's, I have an S15, I have an R34, I've got the Mach-E, the Lightning. This little truck got more attention driving locally. It goes eight miles an hour. Well, sarcastic, it goes like 40. It's got like <laughs> a, a motorcycle motor. It's got like 35 horsepower, but my daughter loved it. I ended up building a truck four or five years ago. It really got popular. And again, I'm not taking credit for it. Right place, right time. Everybody wanted an Acti truck. Um, I actually ended up selling my truck to Honda because it was in the States. It was already built. They need a small truck, you know, to go to events. And then I ended up buying a, a van because my daughter didn't want me to sell the truck. Um, bought a van. It's a little bit bigger, a little bit cooler. And uh, I have one now. I built one. I posted on my Instagram. A friend of mine, Alex from Hoppos, who did my air suspension and my Lightning, my Mach-E. He built a truck and a van for SEMA. And actually ended up getting some serious recognition through eBay Motors, other people. But it's honestly just like the EV space. It's cool stuff that I don't want to say others won't do, but it's a little early adaption, doing something different. And uh, it was really cool. And like we were talking about plug-in hybrids. I have a plug-in hybrid, but the Acti van, it's fun to drive because I put 30 bucks of gas and it gets like 600 miles. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So. I put gas once every two months. My wife drives a plug-in hybrid Ionic. I put gas every two months. And then I've got my Mach-E and my Lightning. I never put gas. So <laughs> for me, gas, going. I haven't been to a gas station besides the Acti. I might go to a gas station twice a year. Um, so I try to be creative too, living in California. I've got solar. So I really don't even pay for my charges. Um, I don't charge much on the road. Um, again, you guys talked about it, you know, getting used to charging on the road, driving to Vegas, driving to San Francisco, take some planning, but I think it's all part of the process. Yeah. And I, I think you've, uh, I, I think you're being humble because like what you did with the lightning, for example, if people haven't seen it, man, look up this lightning and the, the air suspension. And I've seen a lot of Teslas where they put the air in the Teslas and they put it in the front and the, yours is yeah. the first time I saw that air setup in the front and to see it in the lightning looks really amazing. And a lot of people, you can, um, you can kind of raise up, I, I think the front of the lightning, but the back is a real challenge. And, and yeah. How did you get the air ride onto the back of a lightning? Because that's, so that, that's... that was our biggest challenge. So um, I worked with um, Alex from Hoppos. I worked with Airlift. Most of my builds, we've probably done, say, probably half, 60, 70 cars on air starting in 2008. I had done a lot of F-150s before. And um, the biggest thing with the lightning was the travel. So as you know, stock, there's, I think, a 9, 10-inch gap. Um, we were able to work with airlift. Alex was able to build components. I learned a lot from my mock E the first year. Uh, we were the first one on air. I think universal has a kit now, but, um, all custom bracketry, all custom lines, the whole nine yards. Um, actually also did 24s on the lightning. We went with the more low profile Falcon at first and the gap was still three, four inches. 
just didn't like it. Probably two, three days before um, we were we partnered with Nitto. And I don't like doing this, but Ford wasn't happy. Falcon understood. We did other cars with them, but the gap was still pretty big. So I've got, dude, almost nine, 10 inches of travel and a bigger off-road tire. And there's still a gap. So you're not talking if anybody, oh, you did air. You're not tucking a lightning like you do an F-150. Um, just not happening. There's no such thing as a body drop. The batteries are just too low. I think my battery is inch and a half, two inches off the ground. Right. All the yep. way down. So it's as low as it goes. I mean, it, it is what I wanted. I didn't want a nine inch, 10 inch gap. Honestly, I didn't want a three, four inch gap. So I'm happy with it. I It's my daily driver right now until the Mach-E gets home. It drives awesome. Um, but I tell people this, it's honestly, besides, you know, maybe the gap, it's the same as an F-150. And that's the thing I get, and I'm sure you guys have heard playing in the EV space, and especially with Shoah. Why do you customize an EV, blah, blah, blah. And I tell people this, it's the same thing. It's, it's, a, fa it's a faster F-150. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, zero to zero to, zero to six, 60 in 3.8 seconds, which... I didn't even know until I got behind it. I had an 800 horsepower supercharged Roush F-150 in 2018. And like you said, my F-1, my Lightning stock was faster than my 800 horsepower Roush supercharged F-150. Um, but body's the same, styling's the same. Bear did big brakes on all of my f 150s So I think that's the coolest thing about a platform like yourself, show off other podcasts. It's educating people who I'm not going to say are naive. They just don't know any better. And we have to learn the same way. You can do an F-150. Um, I was talking about it. My brother did a Mustang the same year I did my Mach-E. And we ended up winning Best of Show at SEMA because we built them as a pair. One Mach-E, one Mustang. And everything Gene did to his, I was able to do to mine. Air, Recaro's, uh bare big brakes, e-bikes in the back, surfboards on the roof. And it was a good lesson for people in the Ford Butasima to see a Mustang Mach-E, I still call it a Mach-E, I know it's a Mustang Mach-E, and a traditional Mustang. There was no difference. Mine was just electric. Gene put gas on the way home. We drove him home. Gene put gas on the way home. I stopped at a charging station. You know, and again, that was the biggest difference, but um, there's a lot of potential, and that's the exciting part of where we are now to where I see us being. As you said, we all have kids. Where we are in 20 years, I tell people, like, right now, it's very similar to where I saw the tuner space when I was coming out of high school. And that's the exciting part that, again, platforms like yourself, builders, educators, charging stations, not really print, but social media is starting to adapt to where we're going to be in five, 10, 15, 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I, I really drew me into the EV space to start with um, was the fact that the lightning was the exact same as a, a regular truck. If you get in it, it's, I mean, Ford literally tried to duplicate the, the F-150 for parts and manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very much F-150, except for when you hit the gas pedal, it goes zero to 60 and 3.8 instead of six seconds everything yeah. else feels the same the buttons feel the same the steering wheel is the same like everything feels the same it's just 
electric. And so the simplicity of that compared to something futuristic like the Cybertruck, uh, obviously that's yeah. a totally different, unique thing. Whereas the Lightning feels like the F-150, that's the most popular vehicle in uh, the United States. Um, and that's yeah, where exactly. like, it's it's just another, it's just another truck. And I think uh, for, for tweaking that, especially against like a Mach-E Mustang, I agree. You can, I mean, it's, it's the same thing, different uh, refueling source, but the trucks in and of itself, I mean, it's very similar componentry as far as customizations. You can order the exact same bed cover that you would for a Lightning as you would for a regular F-150 because it's the exact same thing. Um, and exactly. it, it goes, yeah. the, the modifications across the board for several aspects of it. Um, so, I mean, that's just, that's one of those things that minor differences uh, other than people just getting past the stigma. But one of the reasons I started the podcast in the first place was, hey, it's there. there is this conversation around the EV space. And a lot of times it's, well, I love EVs and I hate EVs. But it's like at the, at the end of the day, I wasn't this gigantic EV believer. Um, I just got one because it made sense for my lifestyle. But yep. it, it's been nothing but a positive experience. Um, obviously some frustrations with charging infrastructure, which is improving. I'm, I'm working to fix that solution. Um, and it's one of those things that overall though, I've saved a ton of money on gas. It's made a ton of sense for me and my life that, you know, with what I do. Um, and it's something that's opened up all sorts of doors and interests for me that I never even thought I would have just strictly because this space is such a, it's a new space, but something that there's so much opportunity in that a lot of people don't even understand um, which is what I enjoy doing is now educating just on the the fact that it's not as terrible as it, as a lot of people would think. Yeah, everything you said is exactly the same with me. As I've had a twelve hundred horsepower R thirty four, I've had a seven hundred fifty horsepower LS, and I've seen gas. I live in SoCal, so my gas is seven dollars a gallon. Orlando was two ninety nine as we travel. But everything you said, I wasn't same thing. I didn't know I had a high I had a plug-in hybrid that we did for Hyundai, which I loved, you know, the 30 miles and the 500 miles on, on gas. But when I built the Mach E, it was the same thing. And you're you you bring up all the great points about the infrastructure of charging. And I mean, people know this. I drove my lightning home, wasn't fully calibrated yet. I added about seven, eight hundred pounds. So it was a bleep show coming home from SEMA, you know, my brother got home in four hours. It took me 12 hours. I didn't know what <laughs> the F I was doing. There were no, there were no apps. There was no charging stations. I did a photo shoot in the middle of the desert, you know, so I get all that, but it's got better. People need to be open-minded. I watch a lot of podcasts, talk to a lot of people at Expo and show off. And I get the closed-mindedness. We're forcing it down your throat and this and that. I'm like, I don't force anything down your throat. I've been on both sides of the world. Um, I happen to like my EVs now, you know, my first one was a California edition and I'll be honest with it. It was slow. It wasn't mind blowing the GT on the other hand. Hell yeah. That's 3.6. Yeah. yeah. I added all the weight. I put the wide body, I put 30, you know, big tires, big wheels. I thought it was going to be slower. We took it on the strip Sunday night. I punched it. It was, you could see me smile. It was fast as crap. And I was like, that's the difference for me. My brother's got a supercharged 
640 horsepower Mustang and as fast as my Mach E, and I didn't have to do anything to the performance. Yeah. So everything you're talking about is exactly right. And I think that's gonna get people excited. They're still close-minded to modifications and range anxiety. Guys, I had it more than freaking anybody. I was in the middle of Vegas in a brand new lightning with six miles, <laughs> you know, four to four towed it to SEMA, but I drive my cars home. And trust me, I crapped my pants and I called Ford yelling and I had to eat Popeyes on the side of the road charging. I get it, but that was two and a half years ago. Now they're all my daily drivers. So I like what you said in the beginning about also gas stations. SoCal's a little different. There's charging stations everywhere now. And I get it. We've traveled the country, Idaho, Kansas, probably Austin this weekend. There won't be as many. But a perfect example, I grew up in Miami, as I said, pre-COVID, I drove from Miami to Orlando, and I remember seeing one, two Teslas on the turnpike. Irvine has 40 million. If you don't have a Tesla, you're not normal, I guess, in Irvine. But <laughs> we drove from Orlando to Miami three weeks ago uh, with, an, with an EV rally with a stop on the turnpike, and Teslas were as normal as a Civic now. And it's only been two years. So I think it's adapting. I think it's growing. And like I tell people on the show off side, you better either join the party or I, I honestly, I don't can't read the future. I think you're going to get left behind. Same yeah. way civics were, 240s were, you know, regular four bangers. Now they're the norm. And those guys now graduated to BMWs and Lexuses. And I think you're going to see that with in our space with the OEMs, with Polestar, with Volvo. Um, look at Porsche. You know, they're at our events with the Taycan. I think they're dropping one or two new EVs next year. So, you know, it'd definitely be exciting to see. Yeah, we've discussed That's what I love that. about. Last week, oh. we had the discussion around, you know, some of the, the OEMs that have not really in involve themselves in the ev game the question is are they holding their cars close to chest and they're going to come in strong or are people like honda and toyota getting behind the eight ball and they're going to try to catch up once evs really uh take a, a larger space and they're going to be behind you know on that evolution of technology where companies like ford have been working on it they've had yep. a truck on the road now for almost two years uh that you know no other person's actually released a truck period uh rivian did it but yeah. all these other oems are like oh we'll got a ram truck next year the toyota you know whatever next year the silverado next year nobody else has even dropped a truck yet and ford's had it on the road for a year and a half so they can work through bugs be working on tech de developing the t3 working on the future of the industry because they're at the front edge of what's happening yeah. in that space and testing out with the maki and the ford they have a small and a full-size vehicle that they're actually getting real world experience on developing blue crews getting all those things where they want it to be to be the leaders of the future of that space whereas some of these other oems like honda has one that's coming out uh yep. next year the beginning of next year they have no other ev at all it's all gas powered and maybe they come in strong with a bunch of offerings and a lot of research and all that and Toyota has said they're doing battery stuff and they're heavy in the hybrid space, but the, yep. there's not a ton of EVs between those two, two OEMs. Yeah, you bring up a great point. I work with all three. 
Ford is very involved, even at, at with, with what we're doing with Expo and Show Off. They're trying to set trends. They're working on future projects um, besides the Maki and the Lightning. They're already updating the Maki, as I'm sure you guys know. We met with Honda. I did a bunch of Honda builds, of course, gas power. They're, I think some companies are, like you said, kind of waiting to see what happens. But again, I believe, and again, I don't know everything that they're going to have to jump on. Like you said, Toyota's big on hybrids. I just did a Tundra. I do love hybrids. I think hybrids are, I don't want to say safe, but, but a, the, a creative the, way. Just but to interrupt you the Tundra. Points, it's good and bad. And I never thought about that. I've owned a plug-in hybrid for seven years. And my wife drives it every day. And I never really thought about the pros and cons to both. But I think there's more cons on the plug-in hybrids. Like she drives local. We don't put gas in her plug-in hybrid. The new Tundra, the Sequoia that are at Expo, they do really well. Um, we have one driving from the UP in Marquette, Michigan, all the way to Austin over the next two days. Fully built, overland style, hybrid uh, that we did for Toyota. They'll be coming to Austin. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. We spoke to Honda in Long Beach, and they're, like you said, working on a couple of things. But I think the further you fall behind, like if you drive Orange County, Tesla, Rivian, Taycan, Lightning, Mach-E are probably the most popular. And then these guys are just falling behind the eight ball because the ones that have been out are doing more and more at events and for consumers. I mean, Jesus, there's, it used to be all Tesla. There's a lot of Rivians in yeah. Orange County. Yeah. And you're like, and they're not, they're not cheap, but everybody here, I think, it's kind of when I grew up in Miami, we were, I always said we were three to five years behind California in the tuner scene. I think that's where the industry is compared to us right now as well. You know, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. And, and that R1S is, that R1S is great. It's perfect for that kind of Orange County area and, and the families. I think the R1S is going to be bigger than the R1T. And yes, I agree. You know, they, it's the first they, I mean, you have the lightning and, uh, you know, uh, upcoming other truck options, but there is no functional EV SUV, period. That looks well, like an actual full SUV. Yeah, they yeah. call these things SUVs. They, they call, are not they SUVs. Call, they call them SUVs, but like the, uh, which model of Tesla do they call an SUV? The, the Y. The Y. The y. It's not yeah, an SUV. It's like, no, it's like my Mach-E. My Mach-E is not an SUV. No, it, it's a yeah. small, it's, it's a car. Like, you know, and you could label that a, a, a like a Ford, um, escape type yeah like SUV. yeah but for a family car the r1s is the first one and it's small still but yes. it is way closer to suv and the escalade iq is the first one to come on the scene that's going to be a full-size suv but yeah the most popular car is going to be for families that that suv style the mid-size suv style that's why the Telluride and the Palisade and all those vehicles are the most popular ones currently on the roads for gas-powered vehicles yeah. because everybody wants that mid-size or full-size SUV for all of these families. Well, Rivian was the first one to produce an EV product that's actually functional for families. Uh, it's not yeah. the largest, but it is the first full-size. You see a lot. You SUV. see a lot by us now. Yeah, it was like Explorer Expedition. Yeah, my Maki. I have a family. And my kids are older now, but yeah, it's not like the Rivian. So you see a lot of those now. And now, hopefully, now you're seeing more cars, more model, more makes and models. That's where show-off comes in, where we can hopefully get more people to modify. 
fire. Yeah, you know, SEMA was okay. There still wasn't a ton of modified EVs, and I don't think that space really loves us as much. Again, no foot in mouth. It's just the truth. I've known them forever. I think we are going to start seeing more modified Lightnings, Mach-E's, Rivians. Everybody's like, yeah, it's Tesla-based because there's freaking 2 billion Teslas compared to everything else. But it'll be fun to see, like with Show-Off, we're going to start building the Overland section. We've got Toyota. We've got Ford. We're building a new Lightning that style next year. We've got some Rivian guys coming out. So I think the more the OEMs back us and then the aftermarket companies, Thule, Nitto, Falcon, Black Rhino, um, that'll be fun because then you'll have more than just, I love AJ and Ruined, but more than just slam Teslas. You're going to have lightnings with tents and cargo boxes and kitchens, you know, all that stuff. And that's where hopefully more and more people see that. Like you said, it's possible. It's not anything different than a lightning. It's plug in, it's electric and it's fast. So it'll be interesting to see where through expo, through show off, through podcasters yourself, through media, where we could take this. Absolutely. That's what, that's what I love about what you're doing, Neil, is that, you know, you talked about not forcing it down people's throats. And that's what's so great about, you know, SEMA is very much an industry kind of place. Um, yes, but what sir. you're doing, you're bringing it out to the people. And uh, when you were out here in the Bay Area in Alameda or you were down in L.A. or, you know, you're traveling around the whole country. And it, it reminded me a lot of way back in the 90s when I used to be really into like E3 down in Los Angeles and the, the video game space, right? And that you would generate inspiration and you would creativity and some everybody was there. It was open to the public. But you're you're taking that atmosphere and you're bringing it around the country. You're bringing it to the people. And it, it's it's not like CES or it's not like SEMA or it's not, you know, where it's a destination. You're bringing it and you're letting people, everyday people walk around and take the test drives and you're letting them ride the e-bikes and you're letting them see these amazing things with the show off and you're inspiring people to be drawn to it as opposed to that idea of forcing it. And that's what I think the beauty is of, of what you've done. Uh, I, I just, I think it's awesome. I, I, I appreciate that, man. I don't, We've been doing this so long, built so many shows. You know, I didn't even think about it that way. But the great thing about Expo, and you got to see it in San Francisco, and hopefully you guys come to more events next year. By the way, we have eight, shameless plug. I'll fill you in. But no, it's going to these shows and bringing family and bringing friends. And that's how I got into this whole thing. It's like we've got the coolest thing about Expo, you can come test drive. I think we have 13, 14, 15 OEM vendors. I think only LA Auto Show might have more, but we've got more than auto shows. You get to demo them. We've got 30, 40 bike vendors, our kids. So my kids are older now, but we've got a kid zone where you can ride Super 73s and Stay 6 and go-karts and I think it's four and up, you know, so baby kids can come. And then my teenagers ride all the Supers and the Jackrabbits and the Mondays. And then you as an adult, don't laugh. You know, I can't afford a Tycon right now. I work with Porsche, but you know where I drive my, my Taycan? At every expo. Yeah. <laughs> I drove it in Seattle. I drove it in Miami. I'm going to drive it on the track in Austin. And I love Porsche. I just can't afford one right now. So me and my guys will we'll wait our turn and we'll ride them, you know, at expo. And then, you know, so that's fun. And then the show off side, it is about us. Guys like us who just love 
cars, love customization. And it's a, it's the vibe. You were at it. It's for me, it's not another car show. And that's what I tell people about Expo. Show off, yes, has a car show element, but we're not sitting there for an hour and two looking at some cars. We can go test, we can go demo. We can go screw around and you know try a super or try a jackrabbit. So I ended up now in my stupid garage. I was like eight e-bikes. I'm like, what? I have two kids. I don't need eight e-bikes, but they're fun to ride. And then you've got, you were talking when I came on the podcast about boats. Seattle, we had a luxury yacht liner and then we've got trailers and there's so much now in the EV space that it's not just about a car or a bike. It's about boats. It's about surfboards. It's about uh, razors. I mean, we have a whole e-bike section um, that we do. So I appreciate how you said it. And like I said, we are actually expanding next year. We're going to come to Denver. Uh, we're going to also add Phoenix. And I'd love to link up with you guys when I come home. You know, we're, we're doing Orlando next year. Uh, we did a lot of hot poor nights there. We're going to the convention center. I think we'll we're almost 2 million square feet. We'll um, facilitate starting one up in Tennessee. I want one up in Tennessee. Uh, dude, yeah, Josh I is in Tennessee. Place. We got to get one. Got to get no, one. No, we got to. We, we talked about North Carolina. Um, you know, Porsche is in Atlanta. Atlanta has a lot of uh, OEMs coming there. So, no, I exactly the relationships, like you said, building with you guys. We're going to keep growing. We're getting international buzz, the UK, Australia. People laugh. Indonesia re reached out to us um, where it's big ice right now. But um, Taiwan, where I'm going to go see some stuff in a couple months. So, you know, again, appreciate guys like yourself helping to build the infrastructure. It's going to be fun to see we're in 20 years. Because, you know, people are going to have to get on board or, you know, you see how California is. I don't think it's going to be all EV. You know, people ask me, I'm not an EV Evangelist. Yeah, yeah, I have the I have an R34, you know, and but the funny part is the conversion side's getting really big. Um San Francisco, we had almost 20 conversion cars. That's a whole nother topic for another day on another podcast. It's still a little expensive. It's still tuners like BCU Trust or Mike from Conductive or Brian from Current LA. But um, my son has a 2002 BMW, and it's like, do we go LS supercharged? Or do we go EV? And it's yeah. he's fifteen. We hosted the guys over at Vo Electra. They're up in uh, Michigan now, but they they yeah. uh, they were talking about some of the conversions they've done. Uh, a they buddy do of mine's so really cool interested stuff. in the in the uh, Defender, and uh, they had done an EV conversion on a Defender, which was pretty cool. <laughs> Look at our Miami coverage. Our best to show was a Jeep. Um, someone did another conversion. We've had a couple conversions, but. That's a whole nother topic for a podcast, yeah. but that's the next part, taking these cars. And again, you're going to get the hate. I have an R34 sedan. I've had an RB26 in it. Oh my God, is Neil going to make it an EV? Why is he going to make it an EV? He's an EV lover. It hasn't been done. It's cool. It's I don't have to put gas. Um, it's going to help push the industry forward. Like our Mach-E. You know, I we didn't, I don't want to keep this going forever. We're going to talk forever, but it was a three. I pitched that three years ago to our friends at Ford. They thought I was crazy. What's wrong with you? You're not building an overland safari style Mach-E. Um, that's why I ended up doing the, the one on air. It was more traditional beach cruiser SoCal. And this year 
at Long Beach. Like, what do you want to do this year? I'm like, the safari monkey. <laughs> yeah. And I have my renderings. The funny part, too, you've seen the rally one. And yes. that was their tamed version. And I, I love them. And I know they can't do what I can do as far as logistics, but they raised theirs 10 millimeters. I raised mine four inches. Yeah. They put a third, what, a five millimeter fatter tire. Again, I love them, but that's not what we wanted to build. Yeah. We wanted to build what we envisioned wide body. I mean, ours is 14 inch wider than stock. It's all metal, metal rear, uh, aluminum front. We were going to weld it, but I made it where it's detachable. You know, we added the the winch and the frunk. We added, you, you've worked with Ford. You know, you've worked with uh, OEs. You can't put anything on the roof. We own a fabrication shop. You can, you can strengthen the roof. You can put a Thule roof rack. And again, Thule wasn't making a roof rack three years ago. It's a bolt-on roof rack. It's got their cargo, you know, their cargo uh, plate. It's got a fifth wheel. It's got an ARB jack. It's got recovery boards. It's got, people saw my rotor packs. You don't have a gas car. Calm down. It's not a gas rotary pack. It's storage. You can put water. You can put your, your gloves. So it was the same thing. Ford wasn't ready for it three years ago. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I saw the Audis, I saw the Porsches. And I'm like, dude, that'd be badass. Why can't we do it? You can't charge it when you're in the desert. I'm not going to the desert on freaking 3%. <laughs> yeah. Not broken, you know? So, and like you said, also the solar, like the bikes. Now there are coming, there is technology where you can have solar on the roof and while you're at a race or you're in the desert, I have a house in JT. I can charge it. I'm not going to the desert on no charge. People, that that's the thing I get. Oh, you you can't take it on the off-road. Why not? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to have backups. And, you know, even they laugh. I have a super on the back of mine. God forbid you do run a charge. There's there, It's called planning, gentlemen. It, you're not, it's like a car. What if you run out of gas in the middle of, Joshua Tree. You're going to walk to a gas station yeah. with a can. I I planned ahead. So that's the fun part. And that's the cool thing about what we're doing. The OEs are backing it. But th yeah, that's why you, I'm sure you saw some interviews from SEMA. It was three years in the making. And it was at in May. They're like, let's try it. And uh, I don't know if you saw some of the interviews. It was a four and a half week build because we had to get a car. Um, there's a couple of things I want to change. It's wrapped right now. Most of my cars, you know, like are painted. So little things here and there, but we're going to beat the crap out of it. It's going to go to Austin this weekend. And then it's going to the LA auto show, um, over Thanksgiving. And then it will tour with Ford next year to a lot of the, of uh, the show off expo events, but it's going to be my daily driver. People don't believe me Go on my Insta. I drive <laughs> all my cars and, uh, I drove my best to show Mach-E for two years. People are like you can't. Uh, yeah, I yeah, take I it can. to church. <laughs> I take, yeah, I take it to. We take it to practice. Uh, I take it to church. I take it to shows. I take it to the shop. I take it to get groceries. I don't use the frunk because I've got stuff in it, but it's got a hatch. So I think that's the misconception we have to kill. You can't modify EVs. Yes, you can. 
You can't make them cool. That's your problem. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The partners, the partners are backing it. Again, it's funny. I met with a friend from Mobile One. And Mobile One, and I have a relationship with Shell and Pennzoil. And Mobile One wasn't in our space yet. And now they're coming out with, it's not a traditional oil change. And we probably won't do it. We'd go somewhere, but different lubricants. But Mobile One, Fortune 500 company, guess what they want to be? labeled with involved with evs yeah last year that wasn't the case now they're looking at show off and they're looking at expo and they're looking at these oem relationships with mercedes and porsche you know and ford so i think that'll be really cool and we'll see where that takes us absolutely well we do appreciate your time today we have to wrap it up for today um but we yes, will sir. have you back on at some point in the near future because a lot of uh cool and interesting things and uh obviously hopefully uh there'll be a show close enough that i can uh pop pop by and uh check out you, the you're the always smaller. welcome you know yeah, yeah i'll yeah. send you the schedule and when it get, gets home you could if you're out in la we'll we'll drive it in the desert i might have to come to la just to see Dude, it. you can drive it on <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't care where you drive it or next year you know come out to san francisco hang out with us i don't know if you talked to him that event was awesome we have the track in the back where you, we can we demo cars but Please, anytime any of you or any of your fans, followers want to come to a show off or expo event, please make your way out. We'd love to have you guys. And again, thank you for this platform. Um, look forward to future things with you guys. And you guys keep killing it as well. We appreciate Absolutely. you guys. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. You too. And that is all for this episode. Uh, tune in next week. Uh, we'll have some more exciting things coming soon. Thank you for tuning in today. <laughs> <laughs>